here with season two, episode four, Believe in Believe with Trayvon Sandiata Ferguson. And this episode uh, is very special to my heart uh, for personal reasons. And um, I mean, it just covers like a huge range yeah. of yeah of topics. We, um, you know, like with a lot of our episodes, weren't planning on having it go this route, but it became mm-hmm. way more beautiful, way more raw. And, yeah. you know, and that's all thanks to Trayvon, you know, being willing to share some of his most vulnerable moments during mm-hmm. his epilepsy journey. Yeah, absolutely. So we do want to give a trigger warning um, that, you know, Trayvon does talk about uh, suicide, yeah, suicide ideality um, in a moment that he tried to take his own life. Um, thankfully, he is still here. And um, he, we talk about coping mechanisms, you know, to work through those things. Um, and so... But there's also so much laughter in this episode, Mm -hmm. which because he, you know, as he described, went from like a light bulb dimming out to now he's just this bright light. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just such an amazing and like you said, very vulnerable. A lot of things that don't get talked about. um, And from what I hear in the male world, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously I can't identify as a male. I don't, I don't know that experience, but like there is, you know, we've just heard from more and more people with epilepsy that guys don't talk about this stuff. Um, so it's just very, um, I, I don't know. You come out of it feeling like you can do anything because he really, he hit, we talk about his rock bottom and then we talk and then we look at him now and it's like, oh my God, mm-hmm. like, it's just so amazing. Yeah. I mean, this, and this is something that it, you know, I don't want to say all of us, but many of us epileptics deal with. And, yes. you know, when you walk into a room, that might be one of the, you know, hardest things about epilepsy is, you know, taking care of your yeah. mental health and yep. um, it's a constant battle because, you know, Epilepsy as a whole is depressing. Seizures make you depressed. And, mm-hmm. you know, medication side effects are a constant battle. So totally. Um, this is something that we definitely want to talk about a lot on here. And yeah. Trayvon's story is kind of a, you know, a beautiful way to show it. Yeah. Oh, that's so, you put it so well. <laughs> totally. Truly. Um, you know, and there's there's two reasons we wanted to uh, release this the day after Memorial Day. And one is because uh, Trayvon is a combat vet. Um, Which is a huge and, part of the story. Yep. How yep. So I'm not going to say anything more yeah. about it because I don't want to, you know, tell his story before he can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other reason is that uh, tomorrow, May 31st, is my late cousin's Jimmy's birthday. And um, Jimmy had epilepsy and um, seizures took over his life. And that is why he took his. And um, it's something I think about all the time. I miss him all the time. Um, and I, I didn't have epilepsy when Jim uh, passed, but a few, no, it wasn't even a few years. It was six months after. I was diagnosed with epilepsy. I completely understood his perspective and why he did what he did and why Trayvon is talking about this too. And all we want to do in this episode is, and in this podcast is provide resources so that, you know, hopefully you don't get to that point, but if you do get to that point, know that you have a community, you have people, there are, um, and we might not live in the same city like Lexi and I don't even Mm -hmm. live in the same city, but there are people out there who want to help you um, and you are not alone. Yeah. Um, and so with that, we hope you enjoy this episode. Um, and we really want to thank our sponsors so much for putting these important conversations, helping us put these important conversations mm-hmm. out there. Um, so thank you, Norellis and SK Life Science. Um, we know you understand the importance of these conversations. Yeah. So um, here we go. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to What the F. We are so pumped about our guest today. We have Trayvon <laughs> Sundiata Ferguson. 
who is a motivational speaker and individual coach and also security manager at Spartan, which is those Spartan races that you see people doing that you're like, I'm just like, how, (laughs) why I could never, but you, you've done a few yourself, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So you're one of those people I'm like, how, why? I don't I don't understand, but you are uh pretty badass in that. So Trayvon, welcome. We are so stoked to have you on and chat today. What we wanted to start with today was just your story because your story has all yeah, you're like uh <laughs> you know, like that makes sense. Um <laughs> but it just has so many layers to it. Um, like a lot like a lot of people's stories do, but I think, um, you know, acknowledging that you are a vet and talking about, you know, um, how this, how all of how your epilepsy unraveled and, you know, I can also relate to being diagnosed with epilepsy later in life, um, as you were. And just, um, I don't know, we kind of just want to, we just want to, we just want to hear you talk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Well, again, thank you ladies for having me on this morning. Um, so let, let's kind of start at the beginning because I think, you know, making sure we lay out the foundation properly. So first and foremost, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. So I was born down in the Caribbean. And um, and in December of 94, uh, my mom and my dad decided, okay, um, I had finished high school and they and I had just actually applied for Howard University. And and so I, I, I arrived with my younger sister on December 18th, yeah, of 94. And the funny thing was, like, about a week after I got here, I got my acceptance letter to Howard University, which was so cool, right? But even with a, a partial scholarship, my parents were, really weren't in a position uh, for me to afford Howard University at the time. And you're talking about what, 16 plus grand a year. So I ended up foregoing going to Howard University. And I decided to go into the army. Two reasons. One, I figured if I got a job, there was no way mom could tell me what to do. That was one. But then two, (laughs) two, I saw that as a way to give back in terms of service for the country that allowed me to come here to create a whole new life, right? Because I knew if I could do certain things here, then there were certain people, like my grandmother back in Trinidad, that I could take care of. Right. Wow. Um, I went That's on beautiful. to serve seven years in the army. Um, I would I would venture to say that initially when I made the decision, it was a hard one. Um, and there were times when I thought about, you know, cutting it short. But the truth sure. is, the opportunity to wear that uniform, the opportunity to fight for freedoms and rights not just here in the United States, but all around the world, made me realize that this this desire to serve something bigger than myself was truly, truly, like, deeply rooted. And and funny enough, Hmm. it came from my mom, right? It came from my mom. Like, my mom was this amazing woman, didn't have a college degree, but I remember when she passed and and all the people that came to her funeral and what they wrote in the book that we had at the funeral parlor, it truly made me realize how much of a servant my mom was and then how much mm-hmm. of her that I have in me, right? And so, like I said, I did seven years in the Army. And unfortunately, while on active duty, I was in a, I mean, this, it was a really, really bad uh, accident. In that accident, I suffered a... Uh, uh, Knee injury, which I which I still deal with today, lower back injury, mm. and the worst of all, a traumatic brain injury. That traumatic brain injury, uh, even today, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this, uh, my right pupil has never closed back to its or to the original size, so it stayed dilated. Wow. And from that point onwards, it was just a series of trouble, basically from a change in my in my emotional state which i which i didn't even know that that could happen from a brain injury i only recently found this out a few years ago um constant headaches and migraines nosebleeds regularly um and then the worst started about five and a half years ago seizures i i was at work at a previous job i remember 
I just wasn't feeling right. My head just, I don't know. I, I'd gotten so, and, and the painful thing about this is I had gotten so used to having headaches and migraines every day. Like it was just normal, right? But something yeah. felt off. It just didn't feel right. So I got to work and I told my manager, I was like, man, I, I, I don't feel right. And he was like, well, can you tough it out? I said, all right. And then next thing I know, I wake up, I'm in an ambulance heading to the emergency room and they're telling me I had a seizure at work. And I'm like, what? So I'm in full on denial. Right. Right? I'm like, there's, right. there's absolutely no, no. way. I, I'm like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's impossible. That's such a good example, though, too, not to cut you off, yeah. but like, you know, being asked, can you tough it out? Right. You know, yeah. you already were toughing it out every day with those migraines. Right. But no one knew about it. You just did it because that's what we do. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been trained to do. Exactly. That's the right thing to do. And yep. then can you tough it out? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And this is, you know, I think that's it's just a huge moment right there, too, yeah. just to kind of focus on like, there is no reason to tough it out oh. unless you, I, you know, oh, did I take the words? Uh oh. Well, <laughs> I think, uh -oh. I think, what I do? I, no, I think now when I look back at that situation, I would have handled it differently. Like, I, I probably, mm -hmm. well, if I knew then what I know now, I would have handled it because I mean, I really did not feel right. And the thing about it, I was in a warehouse operating heavy machinery. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, right. Like, it was such a dangerous position to be in. And, and to think totally. about it, the, what I was told, because I don't, I don't remember what happened. What I was told yeah. was I was moving one of the machines and it had some, um, some pallets with uh, paint on it, um, like five-gallon buckets of paint. And mm -hmm. I, I pulled up to one of the bays and I, looked, I stopped it. I thankfully happened to stop it. And I looked over to yeah. one of my coworkers. I said, hey, man, I don't feel right. And he was like, what's going on? And I walked over to him and just dropped and started having a seizure. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, you know, in denial. And then a few days later, my lovely wife and I were having a not so pleasant conversation. She doesn't like me to tell that, but I have to. I mean, that's we were arguing. We were arguing about something. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what it was. And next thing well, I that's know. That's normal. Right. Yeah. yeah we, do that. Yeah. Couples do that. We from are. what I hear, yeah. I don't know. I'm not married. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we do that. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I wake up and there's two um, paramedics in our living room and she's in the corner over there crying. And I'm like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. So they, then they yeah. told me I had a second season. And that was about maybe a week and a half later. And then from Come that on. day onwards, it started coming multiple every single day. Back, 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 back. It was like, it was so a nightmare. Sorry, we were falling know. down this rabbit hole we, because we didn't know what was causing it. And unfortunately, all right, hold on, let me, I got to be careful with this because I don't want this to turn into yeah. a, a bashing session, but this is the reality. At, at the mm -hmm. time, my only medical source was the VA, right? And going to them, was well it was a nightmare and you know they're giving us the runaround and then finally i went and saw a doctor outside of the va and and then they told me what was going on so yeah. so what this is happening i'm unraveling so so i'm a combat vet struggling with ptsd struggling with nightmares oh. and then they put me on a medication where i start seeing stuff and little by little, I start falling down. It's kind of like Alice falling down the rabbit hole. And this person you see right here was slowly disappearing. It's kind of like a light bulb just slowly yeah. fading out. It yeah. goes from bright white totally. to that dull yellow before it turns off. And I remember, I think the, the scare for me came when my wife actually said that. Like, I look like a light bulb that's fading out, about to go out. And oh, wow. I remember it had gotten to a point where uh, November of 2018, the day before my birthday, I had 10 seizures. I was at work. Oh, oh, and then my oh. wife had to come pick me up. And then it was like, and they were just like, it, there, there just seemed to be no end in sight. And, and by that point, I'm on medication. So taking me to the emergency room 
didn't they just stabilized me yeah asked me if i take my meds right. charged me a thousand dollars and then sent me on my merry way yep. right so, Here's the band-aid yep. and go home. Right. Yeah. So there was yep. no reason for me to go to the um to the emergency. And and I'll be honest with you, at that point, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, yep. the amount of yeah. pain I was in just from having one seizure, much less having multiple back to back to back to back. And I'm talking about violent seizures. And now I didn't really understand yeah. until I had to ask my poor wife to record me having a seizure so we could send this to the VA. Yeah. So, okay. so then I had to ask her, like, how are you doing this? Like, I'm, I'm watching myself on the video and I'm asking, how are you doing this? Like, how, how is it possible that, you know, because it's hard enough that the first aid is so limited. There's not much you can do except make the person safe. And then you're yeah. having to do this back to back to back. And then the, the, the other thing was, for some reason, I stopped having as many seizures in the day and I started having a bunch of them at night. So then, we, so now we're worried about SUDEP. And so now, combat vet, PTSD, diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and now I don't even want to sleep. Because mm -hmm. I'm so yeah. scared that if I go to sleep, I may never wake up again. Can I can I ask you a question sure. that just caught my I just I don't mean to interrupt your story yeah. at all, but what did you said you asked your wife, how do you how do you deal with this? What did that conversation look like? Well, it it was a short conversation because she said, I'm your wife. Like and even today. I always tease her because she always would tell me, you know, she's not a caregiver, but I don't know. I, I think sometimes necessity breeds resolve that we often don't realize we have. Right. So I asked her that question and in a simple word, she just said, I'm your wife. Like the, the if you magnify that, that to most people might be ah, simple, but when you really magnify that, that encompasses so no, it's much. It's not simple. Like, yeah. That truly says, okay, the vows that I took with you, I value those. And I'm going to fight to live those vows. Right? Cry, Trayvon. <laughs> this is, oh, well, well oh, the thing is, too, keeper. is that we've, we, yeah, we've seen so many couples where, um, mm -hmm. like, it's late onset epilepsy and the couples get divorced. They don't yeah. last. And so, um, you know, it's just so what you're saying basically is that we we love this and we, we're and you know we're I we think we were both like don't cry don't cry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's just beautiful that you were able to ask her right the you know vulnerable question mm -hmm. and then her answer was like because because right. like I got you you know right that's amazing and and and, and she that's. What you just said is part of what frustrates me today is that every individual going through what I went through doesn't always have that. Mm -hmm. Every veteran yeah. doesn't have a family that can or will stand. Sometimes yeah, they're at totally. the point where they're so broken, they don't know what else to do, which is why we now have so many homeless veterans and all this other stuff, which should never, ever exist. Yep, um, but it gives me something to fight for. And so... My bride and I were fighting this, but and in and, and full transparency, on the inside, I was I was going into a place where I really, really should not have gone. Because so when my wife and I, when we first started dating, about a year into our relationship, I had a, a really bad accident where I lost a few fingers and I mean it was bad. I couldn't I couldn't oh. work for a while and had physical therapy for over two years and all that. So my wife was already oh, wow. had already yeah. carried a heavy load in our relationship, caregiver, financial, sure. all that stuff. And now we get handed this gift. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, man, I'm tired of the fear I see in her eyes. I'm tired of the, the worry yeah. on my kid's face. I'm I'm tired of the financial hole that we're falling in because I couldn't work. 
Um, can't drive. So now she has to be caregiver and financial provider. Mm. All right. And, and, and we all know men, our self-image, our self-worth is tied to our ability to earn, unfortunately. Mm. And so I'm sinking down in this rabbit hole. And, and I got to the point where I decided, well, the easiest thing to do is to remove me from the equation. Yeah. And I remember. I think a lot of people with epilepsy feel yeah. that way. Yeah. They and, feel like this is the, this is, this is my brain trying to come up with a solution to a problem. Yeah. And here's the, here's the answer. But. And I'm very sorry that, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes and yeah. we've been there you, too. You know what's unfortunate about that? that? Been there. None of the doctors except one ever had that conversation with me. Not one of them. It was just take this medication, take this medication, take this medication, take this medication, take this medication. None of them ever truly had a conversation to truly educate us of what like what was happening and why it was yeah. happening and what what to expect, right? And right. so I get to this point where I'm like, man, I am done. I, I remember like getting the pills. I remember what the plan was. I remember going through a series of conversations with some important people like kids and just kind of walking slowly down that road. Just, you know, as I said, continuing to fade further and further away from that light. And the day that um, I was going to make that a reality, it's, it's so funny. I... At that time, Pam had gone back to work, and I, I can't remember what she was doing, but I remember I was sitting at home, and a friend of ours called. <laughs> to this day, I always thank him for that phone call. He called, and he said um, he was getting ready to start this new business project, and he really wanted Pam, my wife, and I to be a part of that. <laughs> that phone call mm -hmm. saved my life because... Like I was sitting there, I had the bottle of pills and everything in my hand when he called. And um, wow. and right after that phone call, my son called. My son, Jocelyn, he called and he <laughs> said, Dad, I just wanted to call and tell you I love you, which was kind of weird because it was in the middle of the day and he should have been at school. Mm -hmm. And it, it reignited a sliver of hope that I could hold on mm -hmm. to. Sure. So when Pam got home, I said, hey, babe, um, Jared, that's our friend that called. He's working on this business project. He wants us to be a part of it. Let's, um, let's take a look at it. And at the time, what I didn't know was that that company had a supplement um, that was based for uh, people doing the keto lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And he was like, hey, I, I don't know if this will work, but uh, I, I heard that if you were to try this, it could help. Give you some reason. And um, so he sent me some packets of the, the, uh, the stuff. And, and I remember, uh, like, I tried it that first evening. I tried some the next morning. And within, like, a few days, I noticed a couple of things. One, remember, I was living with headaches every day. Like, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't a break. From, from just February of 96 till 2018, every day, headaches. And some days, migraines. So, it, I mean, it became a part oh, of my routine, God. right? Yeah. And yep. so, so with that, I'm holding on to this little sliver of hope. And then Pam starts researching keto and she starts cooking intentionally. Um, because, again, the medications, like I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm on a cocktail of five different medicines. But I'm still having multiple oh, series every yeah. day. Been there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> And, and then, yeah, yeah, we both we're like nodding because we're like, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. Y'all know the song and dance they put us through, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> uh, somebody mentioned to us CBD. Now, I grew up in the Caribbean, uh, huge Rastafarian population, even in my own family. So, the use of marijuana for medicinal stuff. Now, I'm talking about way beyond just smoking. Um, well, I, I was used to, but I never realized, right? So I started trying some CBD, the vaping, but I'm not a, 
I wasn't into that. So the edibles. And then on February 5th of 2019, I, well, let me back up. Uh, the week before, I had gone to the VA for an appointment. I was waiting so long for the appointment. I walked out to my car, had a seizure in the parking lot. Mm. Oh, so then at that point, I was like, I told Pam, I I'm done. I'm not asking the VA for another thing. I'm done. I don't, you know. I went and visited a motivational speaker, Mr. Zig Ziglar. I, I'm still in contact with his family. So I went to talk to his daughter and her and his, um, his office assistant, Lori. They told me about a friend of theirs called Jim Gardner, who worked with this organization that helped people with like unique injury. The name of the organization is called the Adaptive Training Foundation. February 5th, 2019. Wow. I walked in there. And, and again, like I said, I, I don't ever try to turn things into religion and faith, but I do, I do believe in my faith. I do believe it, it, it's a strong reason why I'm still here. And it just so happened that on that Tuesday, the 5th of February, Mr. Jim Gardner was at the facility. Even though he's a board wow. member, he's never, and the funny thing is he's never there on, unless it's a Friday. He just happened to be there wow. that Tuesday. So I walk in, I asked yeah. for him, the young lady, and he spent the next three hours with me telling me about the program and telling me about the athletes and all of this stuff. And I remember there were two athletes I met, and I, you'll understand why I call them athletes here in a second. There were two athletes I met, Derek Ross, a uh, combat vet that got blown up in Afghanistan, and wow. Keith Murphy, who, yes, he was a combat vet, but he lost his leg on a motorcycle accident when a young lady ran a stop sign and hit it on his motorcycle wow. here. So this guy went and served oh. his country, survived all of that, and came back home for some oh. irresponsible person to almost kill him. Yeah. And they were going through the program at the time, and I talked to both of them. So I, I left that day. I came home. I told Pam about the program, and I applied because you have to apply to get it. It's a nine, so basically, it's a nine-week program where these people, they remove doctors and they remove limitations and they remove everything that you've been told that you can't or should excuse me, shouldn't do and then for nine weeks they put you through it but they put you through it with a specific goal in mind so at the beginning okay. you have to set a goal for something that you want to do at the end with that you've been told that you can't do shouldn't do or would never be able to do Love it. So they what basically your goal? give you permission to live again, right? On your terms. Yeah, totally. So, so that was in February, but the next class didn't start till April. And I, when I, when I tell you ladies, I showed up to that gym every single day, Monday through Friday, just because I wanted to be in a place where not only I could see these amazing people, what they were doing, but I, I knew that if I could yes. just be in an environment, I had more yes. to hold on to than what was happening. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, poor Pam, she yeah. was fighting and doing everything, but she could only do so much, right? Yeah. And Yeah. And, yeah, and like just being in a community. Right. It's the community <laughs> effect that like I think goes under underestimated right. all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little... Um, I mean, this will be a controversial, but like, at least for me, it's uh, sometimes it's hard to be around healthy people all the time. Then it's nice to be around people who are you know, right. not experiencing right. even the same thing, but just like, you know, are in it in some other way and are, you know, kind of on your level. I'm going to say something Trevani... that some people won't, won't like, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you even referred earlier to before we received this gift right. of mm -hmm. epilepsy, Yeah, you know? And so I think like that kind of um, perspective only comes to kind of piggyback off you, Lexi, like that kind of perspective only comes from when you've been dealt real trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, yes, it can be hard to listen to someone, you know, bitch about. You yes. can't find the right curtains. You kind of have to go, like, okay, I'm going breath. to murder you. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you don't get it. <laughs> so, yes. So, yeah, yeah. I, I th I'm, I'm with you. Well, mm -hmm. I think about this. 
Like some of the guys that I've met were guys, I mean, these are guys are combat fed and all this stuff. Um, and I remember, like, I would go up there and I would just kind of sit off to the side and watch what they were doing. I mean, some amazing, like, I'm talking about guys who are missing limbs and all doing, doing stuff that people, able-bodied people complain about every day. Right? Sure. And I'm like, yep. Okay. And then the, I had a conversation with the CEO and the founder, David Babora. He's a former NFL player who started this program after running into a vet in a wheelchair. And it's a really amazing story. But I had a com when I got accepted to the class, I had a conversation with him. Uh, and and we, we joke about it now, but it was a hard conversation because let's just say I was pissed at him. It's, it's kind of like, well, for one, I'm older than he is. And I'm like, well, I'm a grown man. You're not going to just tell me whatever. Well, when I got accepted into the class, you guys, uh, well, Lexi, you see this. I, I have a pretty, pretty decent social media presence. I'm fairly active. Mm -hmm. And when I know I'm the worst social no media person <laughs> ever. Sorry. It's all good. Uh. And then you post the best stuff. And when, and when I got accepted to the program, he told, he called me into a meeting. He said, Hey man, I need you to get off of social media for nine weeks. I was like, what the fuck? Like I, like I said it, right? I'm like, what? Like, I, this grown man gonna call me and tell me what to do with my social media? But, but here's, here's the thing, though. He gave me something that a lot of people in my life at the time didn't give me. He gave me truth. Mm -hmm. He looked at me and he said, he said, hey, man, in order for you to get the best out of this program, he's like, I... I get it. Like you want to give, you want to serve, and you want to do all this. But for the next nine weeks, you got to be what I call healthy selfish. Like you got to take care of you and put everything you have into this program. And then you can truly go out and give the world. That was part one. The second part was he told me I needed to go get counseling. Now that you talk about pissed. I was <laughs> because. Again, nobody had talked to me about, I've, I've, I've been diagnosed with PTSD and all that stuff, but nobody ever talked to me about counseling. Wow. Right? And, yeah. And he, How does... and when he said that, so I was kind of pissed. I, I came, well, I remember talking to Pam and, uh, and Pam was like, see, Pam, Pam was pretty smart. So she didn't even hone in on the, on the whole counseling thing. What she honed in on was the fact that she knew that I wanted to speak and encourage people to do all that. And she was like, well, hey, if you are going to be able to do what you truly want to do, then you might want to take his advice. Huh. All right. Cool. <laughs> okay, Pam. You yeah. Know? And so I, I listened to that. And then I remember the first day, what was so cool is that this, uh, this, this organization called, they're called One Tribe now, but at the time they were called 22 Kill. Uh, and that was because they were founded in honor of 22 veterans that take their lives every day and they provide counseling for veterans wow. and their families. And when I went to the program, uh, my counselor, Chris, was also uh, really strong in his faith. So what made that work for me was that with, there were days where we would talk about the clinical things I needed, but we could also have some emotional and faith-based conversations about things wow. I was struggling with, right? Yeah. In terms of my faith. Totally. Um, and that's awesome to like inner to find someone. Right. That, and like, that's very needed to inner. That's very rare yeah. because a lot of times doctors are so guarded and rigid in their approach. There's not a holistic dynamic to the thing. Yeah. Right. Which is why right. none of these fools yeah. ever talk to me about the 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 depression that comes with living with epilepsy until mm -hmm. one doctor I met, uh, a doctor from India who was talking to me about this. And she said, has ever, anybody ever talked to you about anxiety and depression? I was like, well, I was diagnosed mm. with it as a combat vet. She's like, no, no, no. I'm talking about as it relates to your epilepsy. Mm -hmm. oh, and wow. I, she said, I said, no. And she said, she said, you do realize that as dangerous as it is, depression when it comes to epilepsy is also like a safeguard, right? Because your body your brain releases all these chemicals to try to keep you in this 
slowed down state, even before or, or after an episode. I was like, nah, nobody ever talked to me about that. And then like she started talking yeah. to me about how the brain is a computer. And when one of these neurons breaks or is affected and the brain can't send message, it goes into survival mode, which is the, the off and on switch thing that happens in our brain. I'm like, why yeah. had nobody sat down and talked to me about right. this? So right. when she explained that, and then my counselor actually, like we, we did a, uh, a chart of the brain, of the components of the brain, and we were talking about the emotional and logical parts of the brain, how they can't work yep. at the same time. So when we're emotional, yep. we really don't see logic, which is why when we're emotional, sometimes we do some pretty stupid things. Right. Right. Yes. And, no, I've had the same conversation with my neuropsychologist. Right. My doctor recommended. She was like, you need to see a neuropsychologist because like this is the stuff I can't do. Right. And now we have appointments and she'll be like, go take that to the other doctor because she'll help you with this part. She's like, I wish I could. It's just not within my realm. And I'm like, right. thank you for acknowledging that, you know, and giving me the resource. But totally like it's such a, you know, it's such a weird state to be like, OK, I'm like. I'm functioning from my emotional side right now. Right. And mm -hmm. to realize that and then be like, let me tap into rational over here and yeah. go to rational. Yeah. Right. Because it's, and that, just like you, Trayvon, learning that was like a huge, I know, and right? I keep relearning it all the but, time. It's like every day I'm like, <laughs> oh, you have to, but, but these are things that are important like, to people's life that don't get discussed. Yes. Like, think about this. Mm -hmm. You're totally. in traffic. Somebody cuts you off. You, so you're in an emotional state. And you respond emotionally. Flip them the bird, whatever you do. Yeah. But then, you know, what, to bring that back, if you're focused on, let's say, the colors that you're watching, now your brain has to switch to logic. And it can't think about the emotions because colors is just binary. Ones and zeros that you see that form the pattern that make red what it is. and make You know what I mean? So the brain doesn't mm -hmm, totally. operate in those yeah. two spectrums. And right. so all of these pieces are coming together now to form my what I call my safety net. And the, the, the final oh, piece was yeah. meeting Reagan. Oh, Reagan. The oh, final piece. Our favorite. Was meeting yes. Reagan. Yes. So, that oh. dude is so great. I'm this adult. Ever, by, by the way, listeners, you'll be cued <laughs> yes. in in a second. You're going to figure out who Reagan is in just a second. Yeah. Okay? So yeah. they were doing this thing at the gym where they wanted to have uh, like a, a kid's version of the adaptive program. We did a camp. I met uh, Reagan. And I remember the week that I was working with him during that camp. Like this kid didn't have any fears. He, I mean, he, like he he knows he lives with this condition. He knows people look at him funny. He knows his classmates. Some of them are mean. Some of them are idiots. Some of them, their parents are dumb and didn't teach him how to be how to be nice to people. And yet, right. the way this kid approaches anything he has to do is there is zero fear. I'm like, wait a minute, like. <laughs> I got permission to do that too. Like, I don't have to suffer yeah. with this thing anymore. Mm. And then I'm doing this. And I'm, so I'm getting ready for the Spartan. And one of the trainers, again, all these things are lining up. One of the trainers, her, her fiance works for Spartan. And they, want, they had some job openings for veterans. Remember, I hadn't worked in, in a couple of years at this point. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm, all right, cool. I called. I did the interview. They told me, well... Uh, yeah, this is the role they have. They asked me if I was uh, if I was okay with working at night. I'm like, yeah. But that was perfect for me because I really, I still didn't want to be. And see, that's the sad thing about this. He was a yeah. young man who wanted to be a speaker to encourage and inspire people that had decided he didn't want to be around people. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. that that's how low I had got to the point where I was willing to walk yeah. away from and give up on the dream I had. And mm -hmm. I get hired by Spartan. So we complete the program. We go to Utah. We do some cool stuff up in the mountains in Utah at the National Ability Center. No big and deal. Yeah. A few weeks later, well, about a month later, I start working for Spartan. And I go to Seattle. I did my first. I remember. Uh, so, you know, for those of you that don't know, Spartan is an obstacle race 
We have different distances, 5K, 10K, half marathon. We have an ultra, which is 30 miles. Uh, with a ton all of obstacles insane. along there. Yeah, they're all insane. <laughs> like, but they're fun. Ah. But, but they look, that's the thing. They look like fun. I'm just like, I can. And no. I remember. That's insane. So, and again, one of my coworkers lived with epilepsy as well. So he was like, he's like, man, do it. Uh, we got you. There's there's medical staff all along the race. If you need, if you get into trouble, we will have somebody. That's to, very uh, cool. So, at this point, this is the first time I've traveled away from my wife at all since we've been together. Wow. So I'm alone on this wow. plane. I'm, I'm scared of now. The, the plane deal. ride was rough because yeah. I, I got sick on the plane, like really sick. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm still. I still have a little issues with flying, uh, but. Mm-hmm. We'll figure that out eventually. And um, so I flew to Seattle. Then by this point, I had gone now six months seizure free. Wow. Right? That's why I'm at Landis, so six months. Yeah, six months. Yeah, that's when freeze. we met. She was six months. Yeah. Yep. I was freaking out a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of like this is supposed to be amazing, but also mm, don't don't talk about it because I don't want to jinx it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I might be starting yeah. to like kind of buy into this whole not having seizures for a little bit thing. Now, yeah. But <laughs> I was still like, yeah. Ugh. And so I go up to Seattle and I remember. That I, I did I went and did the race. Uh and so this was a 5K, 20 obstacles, went through it. And I remember crossing the finish line. And I just fell on the ground and I was like just drenched crying. Mm-hmm. And, I believe and like it. my staff, yeah. the staff came around and I mean, I'm covered in mud crying. And then I and from yeah. that point onwards, I realized that like at this point. There's probably nothing that life can throw at me now that I can't handle, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we would both agree with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, yes. Yeah. And to kind of pull it full circle now, so since then, that's, that was 2019. We're in 2023 now, so the last three, all, coming up on four years, uh, I've done a total of 36 Spartan races. Wow. Varying. That's- God. Very that lengths. is so cool. Uh, very yeah. lengths. Uh, 5K. lengths. One of those lengths is cool. Like, I don't know. That's amazing. Sorry, I'm cutting you off. One. No, you can. Uh, I've done some trails. You should be. And then I've done some DECA. DECA so DECA is, is, uh, is not an option. It's more of a fitness, of Spartan fitness testing. It's kind of wild. Done a couple of those. Done a lot of hiking. Uh, I think. Since 2019, I've done maybe 305 Ks. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've <laughs> got a suitcase of, yeah. of medals to prove it. It's just a bunch of because and then wow. and then a couple of years ago, I started this thing where uh, I was doing this challenge to do 100 miles in a month to, to help with veteran suicide. So I, I do that every month now. Okay. Uh, that's and that's wow. that's a combination of walking, running, and hiking. But right now I can't run because I'm dealing with some injuries. So I'm still, but I'm still walking, hiking, and so movement mm-hmm. has become like the magical catalyst, right? For me, uh, if I sit too long, totally. now don't get me wrong, I'll binge watch a good comedy every day <laughs> and laugh, you know. But absolutely, if, yeah. My wife will ask me if I sit around long enough. She's like, "Hey, what's going on with you?" You know what I mean? Because she knows uh-huh. I'm usually out the door with a backpack, walking all over the place. I'm sure my neighbors think I'm crazy because it, it doesn't even. <laughs> I'm the same way. No worries. It doesn't even matter the weather. The weather. I'm, it can be raining. I, I have rain gear. I'll put it on and I'll go do what I got to do. But the reason mm-hmm. that I do that, there, there's a couple of things. Man. One, as part of the healthy selfish, like that's me. that's me. Yeah. Ensuring that I'm so I glad make you brought time that back to take healthy, selfish to take bone. care of me because if I don't take care of me, I can't be a good version of what I need to be for my wife. I can't be a good husband, a yeah. good father, none of that, right? Yes, Trayvon, you live with epilepsy, but you don't suffer from epilepsy, and that's the difference. That's why it's a mm-hmm. gift now. Because if I if I was never diagnosed with epilepsy, I I wouldn't now be friends with guys who are 
former NFL players, major league ball players, some of the top athletes in this country. Uh, I wouldn't have a chance to, I, I probably wouldn't have pursued working with Spartan. The fact that I could walk into a restaurant, look around, and then walk up to the manager and say, hey, you need to have signage in here for seizure first aid. Like, I get to do that. I get to be an advocate of wow. what's needed in our community, but I also get to be a voice of hope for those of us who, like me, had decided that life was over when I was diagnosed. Yes. Like, I, I can be, I get to be a shining example of the fact that, man, yeah, I live with epilepsy and I can have a seizure any day, any time, but I don't have to mm -hmm. suffer every single moment from it. Mm -hmm. I don't. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. think about this. I mean, you definitely are a beacon, Trayvon. Like, well, without thanks. a doubt, you're just a beacon. I yes. hope so, man. Because well, I think God gave me a second chance. I hope so. I hope so. I oh, hope yeah. I'm doing the work I'm supposed to be doing. Because if any, like, life is a series of moments, right? It's, it's, it's from the first breath we cry, the last breath we take in. It's all moments that connects our dash, right? And if you think about yep. this, remember when I was talking about how the emotional uh, and the logical part of our brains can't function? Well, it's the same thing. Yeah. In every moment, it's only just that moment. And we, the, the, yep. the thing about choice that we were given above all animals is that in that moment, we get to decide who we are, what we are in any moment, right? Think about it. There's three of us on here. We all live with epilepsy, right? Mm -hmm. But in any moment, we get to choose, are we going to smile? Are we going to be mad? We get to choose if we're going to get up and go watch a movie or go take a walk. Like, but it's in the moments. Now, don't get me wrong. I, get, I have yeah. some moments where I can be a real jackass. And I probably, <laughs> I probably, I probably drive four Pam. Get Pam back in here. She I, probably, I probably can remember. Drive four yeah. Pam and the kids crazy. But I think, oh, I think now, I'm better able to, in the moment, choose to be a better version. Mm -hmm. Right. Like yes. For example, I totally understand that. It doesn't yeah. matter what the VA does at this point. Nothing they do will ever will affect me on the level that it used to before. Like I'm not mad at them, nothing. Because with everything that life has thrown at us, Pam and I have figured out a way to, to make it through. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we've gone through repossession of the car, lost our apartment, and here we are, we mm -hmm. own our house today. Now, are we free and clear yet? No, we're not there yet, but we're working on it. We're working on mm -hmm. it. And the fact of the matter is we, we got to choose how we were going to do that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah totally. you, you know what people have asked me? I've had people ask me, why does Pam let me do all the stuff I do? I'm like, okay, let, let, me, let, me, let me show you this. Um, brother. First of all, I'm grown. Yeah, why don't they ask you like, where your leash and collar is? Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm grown. I'm a grown man. But, how do you even respond to that one? But, but see, what they miss is that when Pam was the caregiver, what I had to do was I had to earn her trust to show her that I would be responsible enough as her husband and value our relationship just enough to not do stupid things when I'm by myself. Like that's, yes, I'm yeah. like, you guys don't understand, you know, that, that, that requires trust. It, it requires, mm -hmm. if I'm driving, like I do a lot, like I'll drive from Dallas to Seattle. That's 32 hours of driving. Then when I tell her, hey, babe, I am going to stop after three hours, take a 30-minute reset rest, and then go again, that I actually do that. Yeah. You know yes. what I mean? Or call her when I'm resting or let her know. I mean, even, and even when I'm not feeling well, be honest enough to tell her, hey, babe, you know, I'm not feeling yeah. my best, but this is what I'm doing so that she knows I'm not, again, I, that I'm not being a jackass and being irresponsible. You see what <laughs> yep. I'm saying? So now, yep. yeah. now it's easier for her not to have to worry about me when I do what, I, what, I'm, what I'm doing. So she can trust that I'll do what I need to do to be safe. She can trust that totally. when I go to a Spartan race, 
Uh, if I go work a cycle and I'm not feeling well and I tell her, you know, I, I don't feel good, I'm not going to run this weekend. You see what I'm saying? Like they, yeah, miss, yeah. they miss the fact that as a couple, that trust has to be, it has to exist enough so that my wife doesn't have to worry herself into a state every single day when totally. she's not there. Yeah, yeah totally. I, mean? I had to do the same well, thing with my parents. They, you know, back when I was in college, uh-huh. they were like, no, we know she's out there, you know, like you said, being a jackass. She's being a little selfish. <laughs> and, you know, I, uh, and then, you know, fast forward 12 years to now, and they know that they can trust me that I will take care of my body to the best of my ability. Right. And, you know, they only need to step in when my body says, F you, you know, right. we're still going to act up. Uh-huh. But. I mean, you're so right. It takes an immense amount of trust. And a lot of us go through that period of, you know, we just don't want to buy into the fact that we have to, you know, live life differently. Well, I also want to especially for you as an adult. Just for the people out there who are like me and um, I was the only person to report to. I I have been Mm -hmm. since I've been diagnosed six years ago. Um, you know, I, it just, just for whatever reason, that's how it worked out. And so that's, that's why I think I'm really leaning into, and I wrote it down the healthy selfish, because there are so many things that I had to say no to, you know, friends going, you know, doing stuff and like, kind of like I had to rework my entire identity to my friends and, um, and lost some along the way mm-hmm. because all of a sudden I could not do these things, you know? Right. Yep. And, um, I think it just turned into, and, you know, now like trusting, like learning to trust myself right? and learning to, you know, push myself out there when I needed to be pushed. Absolutely. And then when I found friends who could relate like Lexi, you know, just kind <laughs> of sometimes she'll like be like, good idea i'm like you know that's probably you're right yeah um yeah. you know um or sometimes it'll be the way around she'll be like you know what if you did this then couldn't you what if you took a nap couldn't you then go you know so like it's just kind of having um the right people around you mm-hmm. but also really developing the self-trust as well yeah you know because so, not all of us have someone that's checking in i we love, can be a, I love we can only be a jackass to ourselves <laughs> We do, right? We do. <laughs> but I love that you said that because you need you need both. You need the pe- my Pam, who's going to, hey, are you okay? You're doing this? All right, cool. But also, I also need her to give me a kick in the ass when I'm kind of lagging around and say, hey, now you can go do that. You know, you know what I mean? But yeah, right, remember totally. when we were talking about being around people who are able-bodied and healthy? So there's two yeah. sides to that coin. <laughs> I, I don't I don't hang around people who pity me. I don't mm-hmm. hang around people who feel sorry for themselves. I don't hang around. I, I just I don't have the energy to give to people who refuse to fight for anything. Yep. I, I just don't have mm-hmm. it. Um yeah. because I've watched again, and again, this is from watching my own wife, what she's gone through, just taking care of me. And the and then I see sure. people who have it easy as hell, and all they do is complain. I just don't. Yeah. And, but there's the other side to that where, like, I used to be, I used to be mad at people, and I would tell them, "Well, you don't know what I'm going through," but the truth is, I really don't want them to know. I I don't want mm-hmm. another human being to experience what it feels like to feel like. Every cell in your body is about to just blow up because you're in mm-hmm. that type of pain. Yeah. Where it feels like to, like somebody stuck a stick of dynamite inside of your brain in a metal box that it can't get out and it's just exploding every second of the day. It, yeah. I, I don't want anybody to feel what it feels like to be, to be locked inside of a dark room screaming that you can't get out of. Right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the truth. I don't want people yeah. to feel that. But then I have to bring myself to a certain place where I'm open, honest, and direct enough to give them the information they need to be able to deal with me the way I need them to deal with me. And that's where I think, especially for those of us who live with epilepsy, where it's sometimes it's a hard line to toe because you don't want people hovering over you. Like I I don't know how Pam does it because she's she's the perfect amount of care 
and kick ass. What a lot of what your messaging has been today about surrounding yourself with that family that you want and kind of, you know, working mm-hmm. with the family you have, because you definitely have done that. Right. Like with you, with your wife and with, you know, your kids, but like with also the people that you want to be your family, make mm-hmm. them your family. I really thank both of you for the courage to stand up and be voices in a community that needs to have voices. But I also want to thank y'all for for reminding me of something the other day when I spoke to y'all that when I was given this gift, I was also given a responsibility, right? And that responsibility includes two because sometimes I get a little jaded. I'm like, is all this work really worth it? Like, who's listening? Who's it helping? Does, yeah. does running all these races to create awareness, is it really helping? Does it, does, is it even mattering? Mm-hmm. But you guys reminded me that it does matter. You guys reminded me that it, it's needed. You guys reminded me that I've been given this gift But with that gift, I've been given a certain measure of power because to live what we live on a daily basis and still get up every day and keep fighting, that's powerful. Thank you so much, ladies. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. Um, We just want to add on to Trayvon's episode and with some resources. Mm -hmm. So if you are uh, struggling with suicidality, suicide ideation, um, there is a number you can call to talk to someone immediately. Uh, That number is 988. You can also check out their website at 988lifeline.org. This is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, you can also walk into an ER and say, hi, um, I'm having thoughts of suicide and they will take care of you. Um, you know, there's always options. Call someone. Um, and yeah, just ask for help. I know it's not that simple, but just reach out to your community. Even though it seems, yeah, absolutely. Any, any person that you have. And that leads us into our fave of the week, you know, we want to, you know, make sure that if you're ever sitting there with someone wondering, you know, how can I help them? Just, just ask. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And yeah. if they say, you know, I don't need help right now, then just make sure that they know you're always there. Totally. And that comes from Henry's Heroes, which mm-hmm. is a nonprofit founded by people, well, not founded by that, but it grew from that because yeah. Um, Henry was in grade school, had a seizure and in at school, which, you know, is not ideal. No one wants to see that. He came home very embarrassed. And at the end of the day, like his whole class showed up to his house being like, what can we do? How can we help? You know, which is such a moving story. Yeah. And so that, and that's what turned into Henry's heroes where now you've got kids doing, um, car washes um there's artwork being sold in honor of this foundation and then then this foundation just gives um the proceeds or the donations to individuals um organizations people who might need it you know it's very much like where where can i where can we help so if you want to check out henry's heroes it's henryheroesfoundation.org is the website. You can also find it on our website under our faves on whatthefpodcast.com. And then we've got our fan of the week, right? Yes. This week we've got Stephanie. Oh, yes. We got a DM from Stephanie to our Instagram. And she said, I just listened to my first episode and want to say thank you so much for doing this. My daughter was diagnosed almost six years ago and the past four months has become very uncontrolled. We were told last week they are doubtful she will grow it. Nothing has made me feel more understood and validated with my fears over the past six years that we've been on this journey than this podcast. I can't thank you enough for putting this out. Oh my God, Stephanie, we are we are so glad that you're getting something from this um, as, as a caretaker. And, um, you know, we will hope, our, the goal is to keep going. 
Yeah. We've got plans. Doesn't stop with season two or three or four. Right, mm-hmm. Lexi? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Yep. Yeah.